0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Tactical Leader. Today, I have the pleasure to introduce Ian Clifford, who is the CEO of Fuel Positive, which is the fuel for a mindful world. Before I begin, I want to remind you this show is brought to you by Nightly Productions. If you're a content producer, podcaster, YouTuber, or you want to create marketing content that delivers, head over to nightly.productions to find out how we can help you create that tactical content that delivers. Ian, welcome to the show, my friend.
1: Hey, thanks, Zach. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: And I am super excited about this because you are definitely very different than a lot of the guests we have, but you bring so much experience in the world and in your leadership that I want to give the audience an opportunity to know who you are, where you're the CEO and board chair attached to the organization that we mentioned, Fuel Positive. Um, your background really highlights 25 years of experience in the fields of technology, marketing, and you've successfully led the company to global brand recognition through unique energy solutions. From 2006 to today, you've raised more than $60 million in equity financing for the company. Um, you've also co-founded Digit, Digit it Interactive, just to make sure it's spelled out there, um, a full-service internet marketing company serving Fortune 500s, which you sold at the peak of the market in 2000, right in the Y2K. So that'll be an interesting conversation to have. And overall, I want to highlight the mission of Fuel Positive, where your goal is to be a leader in fighting climate change by creating and developing practical, clean, and sustainable carbon-free solutions that can be implemented economically now. The world can't wait, and Fuel Positive is committed to this cradle-to-cradle positive shift, which is a huge mission that we are definitely going to unpack during this conversation. Overall, Ian, I just want to welcome you to the show, my friend.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. It's a real pleasure to be here.
0: I think this is super exciting. And before we dive into Fuel Positive and your experience, can you tell the audience what's a fun fact about you that we might not know from the conversation we're about to have?
1: Well, it's sort of an American fun fact. When I was 17 years old, I was a budding photographer and met the great Ansel Adams' assistant when, uh, when I was at that age and was invited to Yosemite to participate and assist um, Ansel Adams at the end of his life, um, which was the start of my life, really, and, and learned so much. And, and it really helped me create uh, certainly an environmental vision um but also a way of looking at the world that was very different and as a young person I mean I encourage young people to really explore everything they can in terms of their own creativity so that it just it sets you up for a life that that hopefully allows you to look at the world through a very different set of eyes uh and appreciate things in a different way so um so that's that's one thing not a lot of people know that about me and and uh and that was a you know one of the I'd say a key formative stage in my life. And, uh, and I've tried to carry that, that uh, experience through everything that I do uh, over the last, you know, over the last 35 years. So very, very informative time and very important.
0: I absolutely love that. And I love a lot of what I saw integrated with what you've done with Fuel Positive, where even your vision statement is by Greta Thunberg, and it talks about the climate crisis has already been solved we already have facts and solutions, all we have to do is wake up and change. And I think something like that kind of highlights what you're doing in the organization, whereas the visionary attachment organization like this, it really kind of leans on your who you are to bring forward that vision, that mission, but also the values of the people you work with. Before we really highlight how you came about those values, I think a lot of that goes back to those younger times. What was that like first leadership position? What was that first thing? Was it that type of um, working with Ansel that really set you on the path of like shifting and crafting these missions and values for yourself?
1: It had a, it played a big part because he was probably one of the greatest photographers that ever lived, certainly on the landscape uh, front and as an environmentalist. But he was also, I think, most one of the most humble people I've ever met. So this is a person in his early 80s who had so much greatness behind him. But he came across as just a really accessible, humane, um, really appreciative person. And, and that, you know, I think that really informed me as well. And, you know, I've stumbled through, as we all have through our lives, you know, dealing with difficult people and narcissists and people that are impossible to deal with and, and work with. But we got drawn into these things. So I think as time goes by, I, you know, I was able to really understand what it means to build a strong team of people how to build a very level team. Uh, That's, uh, you know, and and Fuel Positive for me, is a real culmination of all of that learning through multiple different businesses that I've had and and grown, uh, in some cases sold. But the, the, the key thing that I, the key takeaway, I guess, over all of those opportunities is to build a team that is, is truly um balanced. And that's a that's a huge challenge. Uh, you know, that's a really, really huge challenge. I mean you are talking you 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 know you highlight someone like Greta Thunbe who's a teenager, I have a teenage son. Um, it's profound, um just the level of insight, you know, and and the the fact that you know there's no crap in her in her vision. It's like, you know, she sees right through it, right? Like there's no mystery here and, and we're all stuck in this place of you know trying to make excuses for ourselves and and young people who really see what's going on i think can be an inspiration and we have to take inspiration from from previous you know younger generations and and really um look to them for direction right i mean you know like what's important to a you know a 55 year old isn't the same thing that's important to a 15 year old but it's the 15 year old who's going to have to live in whatever it is that we're helping create here so um, so that's a very, very important part of it. And if you look then down into our values further, I mean, we talk about things like kindness and, and accountability, commitment. Uh, we talk about the ego free. So again, really, I mean, I've, you know, like many of us, I, I've I've suffered narcissism in the sense that. You know, you, you're seduced by it and then you're sort of spat out and then you're seduced back in and spat out, and it's just like it's unsustainable, it's exhausting and unsustainable. So so building teams um with you know in inclusiveness and innovation and resourcefulness and honesty, like all of those words are really, really important, um, certainly in fuel positive, as as we, you know, we're now 12 people. So we're 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 a tiny company. Um, in terms of the number of people, but our aspirations are huge. So, again, taking the time at this stage of growth, a lot of companies don't. Right? They'll, they'll sort of panic and hire and overhire and not have a strategy. And and uh, and a lot of companies fail, or they just get the wrong spirit uh, in the company. And and it's impossible to shake that so so all of that all of that learning is 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 it has become a culmination of of what it is that that fuel positive stands for today and um and i can say we've you know we built this phenomenal team of people um as a result of that like we're up for very forward with our mission very forward with our values so anyone coming into the company will see right off the bat that that's what they're entering into. And, and uh, we're serious, we're, you know, we're really serious about that.
0: And I think a lot of that really pulls from the the way you describe yourself as an adventurer, a sustainability advocate. Obviously, as entrepreneurs, as business owners, one thing we do is we bring our personal interests, and the things we truly care about our own mission and values into a lot of what we do in more of a purpose driven, a, a making money matter type of factor where this seems like what you're doing with the organization. And we actually have a similar uh, personal interest that I noticed that um, you're very big in nature as an army guy. Obviously, I I hiked way too many miles in my day, but um, you also love hiking, sailing, scuba diving. And one of the things that you love doing, um, and I love this because I'm a scuba diver myself, where you just love lying on your back 60 feet below the ocean surface. And you talk about sustainability, you talk about these different aspects where you really creating a more eco-friendly environment the ocean is one of those things that if you ever want to feel like you really just are a small peon lie on your back in the ocean and then but you recognize the different things about how beautiful nature really is and it sounds like that's what you're really bringing into fuel positive as well
1: no very much and also how vulnerable nature is and again I, i i'll go back to my experience with ansel with ansel adams i mean the the images that he took uh the photographs that he created i mean a lot of those a lot of those places don't exist anymore or they're you know they're they're in a in a completely altered state so there's something about preservation about the importance of taking care of the planet that you know, again was was a very early influence for me but you're right i mean you know just being under the surface of the ocean alone is enough to say like this is a big world here. We're you know, we're tiny, but we have huge influence, right? This is where this is where the mission to make sure that everything we do um, we look seriously about the impact of, of every step of our technology, not just, you know, the outcome of the product being carbon free or or non-polluting, but, you know, where does the steel come that that is builds our systems, where are the different technologies sourced, where are the different materials, the raw materials, where do they all come from? Like, so it's a real, uh, I mean, the, the expression is cradle to cradle kind of attitude in terms of our impact, right? And, every company, every person needs to really think seriously about that and, uh, and understand that we all have a profound impact. And it doesn't take a lot of adjustment necessarily to change that impact. So again, you know, part of our mission, part of our mantra is really to understand that we can reduce impact dramatically, but you've got to do it consciously, right? You've got to st- say and state what you're going to do, and then you got to do it. It's very easy to, you know, it's very easy to say that you're doing things, but it's another thing to actually do them and to prove that you're doing them and, and make that a big central part of the company. And and we're we're passionate about that.
0: And a big piece, two words that I are really, I think, highly valuable in what you just said are influence and impact where. The this, and I think that directly that that's leadership 101, right? As you influence and you impact things, and that could be from the janitor in the organization all the way up to somebody on your level as a CEO. How have you really seen that grow as your organization grows, as you've gone public? How have you seen that? And you mentioned building a team and having those key contributors. How have you seen that impact and influence among the individuals grow as your organization's grown?
1: Well, I, I think it's certainly from my perspective, it's it's all about a, a really level playing field, right? So our weekly uh, weekly team meetings um, are are equal access. So there's no bad ideas. There's no hierarchy in terms of discussion um you know i mix it around so that you know the most junior person t- kicks off the meeting and and comes to the table with their ideas like everyone feels like they're very much a part of not only the planning, but the solutions that that we're developing, and I think that's important. And, that, and you know, we're, we're talking about twelve people today. That still can exist in large organizations. I mean, you can break out. T- obviously, you start to have to build distinct teams around specific um, a- aspects of the business. But but as long as the mentality is the same, the model is the same, and you're always, um, you know, you're always improving the people who are with you. I mean, I'm you know, I I. I I follow Steve Jobs too, and I'm really interested in you know not being the smartest person in the room and making sure that I'm always bringing people in who know way more than I do, um, and that just inspires everybody. Everybody learns. Like this is the other thing too is there, there's a lot of leaders out there who think they know everything, right? And and they're never they're not learning anymore. They're just dictating. And and quite frankly, I mean that's that's an impossible model. And certainly when you're looking at something like climate change. I mean, you've got to be incredibly creative to look through all of the different layers of of, of challenge and complexity uh, to find solutions that are viable, and understand that sometimes you got to compromise, and sometimes you know you're not going to get to where you want to be as quickly as you can or or, or, or are able to, and and that's you know that's the humility part of this, right? Like you know, you've got to be really. Um, I think as a leader, a very humble person and and very, very um, have you know really, really strong listening skills and 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 empower people and bring them forward. So that's you know that's how I look at things. and And the other thing that we do is we often will start with people, um, and I've done this in other organizations as well, but start with people as consultants, right? So you don't bring them right in as a key employee. Um, Because an employment relationship is different than a consulting relationship. and, And having that consulting relationship allows you to kind of, you know, test the water without putting in probationary periods and firing people after three months and those kinds of you know, sort of traditional mechanisms. It's like, let people shine within their, their expertise and then see if they, you know, if they connect with the team. So being very, very conscious and, and connect with everybody on the team. This is, you know, so, cause you know, it's what's, you know, one bad apple. Right. So it's, and it, it does, it's a really, really important part, certainly of our hiring strategy and, and, uh, our growth strategy going forward.
0: I think that's a great lesson to take into any entrepreneurship of any level, because as you mentioned, I mean, you're you're a public company, which obviously there's a high level and we're talking a 60 million dollar raise so far. Right. So there's a lot of money, a lot of uh, high impact pieces moving and for 12 people, even at that 10 person mark where a lot of entrepreneurs won't get to 10 people one bad apple becomes a tumor that becomes a cancer that can really destroy an organization. And I love that you you take that. I love the Steve Jobs approach of I'm not the smartest man in the room. I'm going to hire the really smart person that makes me look really good. I think that's such a great way to build an organization. And, you know, you're, you're putting out content attached to these things that it, the stuff y'all are doing, I really want to highlight this, the, the, And I'm going to, I'm not educated in this by any means, so definitely have to explain it. But a big piece of what y'all create is a zero emissions green ammonia um, that has integrated from renewable hydrogen. What y'all are doing is like scientific crazy stuff that really takes some really darn smart people to reduce the pollution, which is the end goal is really reducing the pollutants that are going into the world. Can you tell us a little bit about this technology that you've created and and how it's going to shift the, the everything we're talking about with renewable energy and just the environment as a whole? Oh,
1: sure. <clears throat> Absolutely. So so we've been over the years, we've looked at all sorts of different technologies. Um, you know, 15 years ago, we were building neighborhood electric vehicles, so it's little electric cars that uh, and sold about a thousand of them, mainly in the U.S. And so which made us at the time the largest one of the largest <laughs> electric car companies in the world. So that's that's sort of his history. But we became very interested in, in energy storage technology. So we were looking at um, and investing in technologies that uh, that were all about energy and all about sustainability, knowing that you know, we've got unlimited supplies of electricity when you look at things like sun, the sun and 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 the wind and and tidal action on the planet, like the earth is providing, right? Like it's all there. It's just a question of is there. The technology to harness it, um, which there is, uh, but then is there the will to harness it? Right. So we, there's a that's the tension uh, between necessity and 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 inability for um, for for a lot of industries to shift over. So one of those industries is the ammonia industry. So it's been around for a hundred years or more. It's 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 a it's one of the dirtiest industries on the planet. One of the most carbon intense, and people don't see it or know about it. You know, you think of ammonia, you think of a skating rink, and you know, you, every now and then you get a whiff of ammonia um, because it's a great refrigerant. But the reality of that industry is that it has provided for um, mainly fertilizer in agriculture. So it's it's a, a incredibly nitrogen intense material. That allows uh, has allowed for farmers to increase production to feed, you know, growing massively growing populations around the world. So without ammonia and the nitrogen that's contained in it, you really wouldn't be able to feed the world. Like it's that it's kind of that fundamental. But the problem of it, as I said, is the way that ammonia is produced today. It's in big refinery type applications. It's all done with fossil fuel. So very often these big Refineries making ammonia right next to an oil or gas or coal type facility, Um, and they just you know it's super energy intense, so it just spews out a tremendous amount of um, amount of CO two and other pollutants. So, I met about a year ago met a group of scientists who were developing a small modular, totally carbon free, green. Ammonia um, generating system. So this is something that can live in a shipping container, you know, like 20 or 40 foot shipping container. It can be deployed where the ammonia is needed. So I can give you a great example, like a farmer, farmer in Manitoba, right? They've got three or 4,000 acres that they're farming. They Today they use you know, probably five hundred thousand dollars worth of ammonia as a as fertilizer. They've got, you know, they've got a whole supply chain issue. Um, they've got costing issues that are huge. So the the price of of and um, anhydrous ammonia, which is what they use as fertilizer, has gone from six hundred dollars a ton to over twelve hundred dollars a ton in six months. Right. So this is this huge vulnerability that exists in agriculture that that the average person isn't even aware of. So so our model is to say, okay, well, you don't need a supply chain. You've got, either you've got access on the grid to green electricity, you can, you know, in Manitoba, 99% of the electricity is hydroelectric. Um, so you've got a carbon-free source of electricity and our system, you know, takes water, air and electricity and produces uh, green ammonia. And then the farmer stores that on the farm they use it when they need it, and, and they've, got, they've solved the fertilizer supply chain issue and the all the emissions, right? The same farmer, if they don't have green electricity on the grid, they can put in their own solar array. So to run one of our systems for a year, you need about a football size um, uh, solar field in Manitoba to do that. And so they, the same farmer can be completely off grid. And meet all of their fertilizer needs. So th- this is a really revolutionary shift away from a um, an entrenched industry, right? Like the the, the the whole model around centralized everything, energy, you know, uh, fossil fuel. All of those different centralized industries have to decentralize. It's the only way because the vul- And you, I'm sure you know about this: the vulnerability of supply chain, the vul- vulnerability of our grids i know you have a military background i mean protecting those assets the only way to do it is to decentralize so again these are very important concepts that um that that we you know we we believe in deeply and push for deeply but the other thing about ammonia that isn't understood is that it's a it's a fossil fuel replacement so you can take a gasoline-powered car or a diesel truck or a you know jet airplane and convert that uh, same engine to run on pure green ammonia and the only emissions at that point are is basically water vapor because it's a carbon free material so and it ha- that hasn't happened in the past because because ammonia has been such a huge it has such a huge environmentally negative footprint but with the advent of 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 green ammonia the whole the whole like all bets are off, everything changes, right? It's like okay, so that same farmer can produce all of the green ammonia they need for fertilizer, but they can produce even more, use it for grain drying, like which is a again huge propane and natural gas user, or they can use it to fuel their tractors and their combines or what have you. So again, we're, we're so we're offering this ability for individuals or groups um, to to basically get off grid, if you will, like get out of the, the, the century of supply chain issues that have been so problematic and take control and get energy independence, which is profound. Like, you know, we every, the, you talk about energy independence, but what does it really mean? So if you're not producing your own energy or fertilizer or whatever your production is, you're not independent. You're still very much, um, very much subject to variability and and uncertainty. So we're trying to remove uncertainty from extremely vulnerable
0: um, stakeholders. Yeah, I, I love that. And really, as you said it, I, I I wrote down and highlighted that if you don't have that independence, you you're really relying on other people to provide you like a really important part of what your business is operating off of, and. A lot of this, you're talking about the infrastructure protection. I mean, that's my very first company. We focus on risk management, risk mitigation attached to a lot of infrastructure because that is such a huge factor that one of those pieces, I mean, we saw it on 9-11, right? One thing that wasn't even really considered infrastructure really catered a lot of things for us. And um, what, what I'm finding interesting about a lot of this is this is such a purpose-driven mission that you're on. How have you gone about getting people to care about something like this and care about this mission, and get the buy-in because Obviously, you have investors that are putting their money where their their thoughts are, right? So how have you gone about really highlighting all of this and getting people to care about this mission that you're on?
1: Well, I, I mean, first of all, the, the whole idea about the imperative nature and timing of climate change and, and reversing climate change, I think it's you know whether whether you believe it's man-made or or earth made, it doesn't really matter. It's happening. so it, so the change is is essential. Um, I think it's I think it's a, as a result of of human consumption and the way that we do things. And then so that's why the model about you know, decentralizing, simplifying, um creating certainty for uh, for consumers, I think is a really, really, um, it's a very comforting model if you will so believe me when we talk to a farmer who today you know is paying <clears throat> twice as much as they were for the ascent one of the essential ingredients of their business because of nothing other than the indus- this massive industry taking advantage of them believe me it resonates right this is about you know this is about independence and security and uh, and they love it so but Ammonia on a general, you know, the general population has no experience or, or understanding. So, you know, this is where our own outreach, uh, our government affairs work, our our public relations work is mostly about education. It's about teaching a, a, a consumer world and a political world who may have never even considered it, the viability and the significance of, of, of what green ammonia can do <clears throat> uh, on a global scale and also on a local scale. And obviously our model is is about local, uh, local, uh, you know, empowering local consumers to utilize this, this really, um, really, really, really Im- important material. Um, it, it's so versatile. I mean, it goes from everything from fertilizer to refrigerant, to fuel, to uh, many, many industries use it to process different materials. I mean, it's a big market. It's like an 80 billion market, 80 billion US dollar market today. And um, and the advent and inclusion of green ammonia is is they they expect there's going to be 50% compound annual growth rate just within the green ammonia industry itself. That the, the demand is going to be that significant over the next decades. So so we're, you know, we're sort of belting ourselves in for really rapid growth. Our systems are going to be out in the market, out in the field, literally next year. Um, uh, mid next year, we expect our first demonstration systems will be on site uh, producing and 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 really proving everything that we're talking about. And, and we talked about this earlier, you know, it's, it's one thing to talk about change. It's another thing to actually implement and uh, move from sort of serial manufacturing to mass production. And that's all in line you know and and just recently we talked about hiring stri- strategically brought in a new chief operating officer uh, nelson leet who you know has built systems for toyota and and tesla and and other you know mass production companies which is where we want our technology to be we want to be able to build it and ship it around the world uh, build it around the world um, and and deploy it around the world so because it's it's relevant uh, virtually everywhere on the planet
0: and, and one big piece I like about this is I'm, I've researched a lot of what your organization is doing is that it is actually um, almost like a, an easy swap out for, for putting it in layman's terms where you can essentially set this on top of the existing infrastructure that's already there where it's, um, you can produce this on site, it can be transported safely, efficiently, and it really does replace quite a few different things. And it's kind of just that swap overall. So it's not like it's necessarily going to be this huge infrastructure build out that's needed. It can be something that can very quickly and easily, with the right uh, right influence, right impact, it can really flip over into being a this hydrogen economy that we're really pushing toward.
1: Yeah. No, and that's the beautiful thing about it is that it, it, the infrastructure is there. I mean, because ammonia has been utilized commercially for 100 years, it's well understood. It's handled properly properly. Um, uh, farmers, again, it, it, as our initial target, um, are so familiar with the material. So it's it, it's a direct swap. Whether it's gray ammonia or green ammonia, it's still ammonia, right? It's the same material. So the knowledge base is there. There's no learning curve. Um, when you start moving into fossil fuel replacement, so you, you could think of a trucking company, you know, they've got Um, say, a long haul trucking company that has its own fueling depots, for instance, um, has, you know, 100 of the same type of tractor uh, truck that that has the same type of engine, they could convert them all to run from diesel to ammonia. They could have fuel positive systems in every fueling depot. They could have their own wind and solar uh, generation to produce that fuel, because then ammonia becomes a fuel. And um, and be, become again entirely carbon uh, carbon neutral, and uh, and operate their 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 trucks much more efficiently. I mean, the beautiful thing about using a carbon-free fuel in an internal combustion engine is it reduces friction dramatically. It's a much cleaner fuel, so the lifetime of of the lubrication system in the in the engine, the 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 um, state of the cylinders in the engine, um, the, most of the you know most of the wear and tear on an internal combustion engine is carbon, so uh, so you eliminate that right, so you you create a much much cleaner and efficient way of operating, and um, and there are literally billions of internal combustion engines on the planet today, you know, running gas diesel or what have you, and those can be converted like this is again this is the huge picture aspect of this is is that there is no reason I mean it's going to take it will take decades and decades if ever that electric vehicles will replace internal combustion but you've got to think about all the vehicles that are out there today polluting on a consistent basis like we got to think beyond just replacing those we got to think about what do we do with them because they've they're still going to be around for 20 years and if they're running on clean fuel, um, and, and green green ammonia, then you know you've solved a huge, huge part of global emissions. Um, so anyhow, these are I mean I'm, I'm thinking way, way outside of our initial box, but it's it, it is where the world needs to go. Is that we've got to make fundamental changes, and those are the kinds of changes. And people don't like complicated changes where everything has to change. But if you go to a fueling station and, you know, you have a robot refuel your car with ammonia instead of, you know, standing at the pump pumping gas, like there's not, there's no, you know, there's no resistance to that. And you've got the same car, you've got the same engine, you just, you know, you just have basically water vapor coming out of your exhaust pipe. So it's, it's this kind of change that I think is, you know, part of the education is to, to make people understand that it, this can happen. This can happen now. And that you know, goes back to Greta Tunbe saying, you know, we know how to do it. Just do it <laughs> basically to paraphrase. Right. It's like, make it happen. So that's what we're trying to do.
0: And I absolutely love that. I mean, that that's I know you went really long term strategy and vision attached to it, but I, I love that because it leads really well into the last question I always ask and, and it's just such a phenomenal idea of what you have, but overall, you know, I want to know like what's the legacy you want to leave on the world with this conversion and all this great stuff you're doing.
1: Well, I mean, again, that's why we're quoting a teenager for our mission statement, right? It's like, this is, this is a legacy project. If I can't leave this world better than I found it, then I've failed for my kids and, and, and then the next generations. I mean, it's a, it's a, it is a profound way of looking at things, but everyone should be thinking that like, what's the impact of what I'm doing. And, you know, it's a, it, there, there are many, obviously many first nations out there who, who consider the, the preservation of our earth and improvement of the earth as, as a fundamental value. And we, we absolutely share that. That's an incredibly important way of looking at things. If we only look at, you know, what, what things do for us As we're as we're around on this earth, then we're not solving any problems we need to think what's the impact of what we're doing generationally and and again a huge
0: driving force for us. And I absolutely love that. And I want to give the audience an opportunity. Where can they find more content about Feel Positive, connect with you, connect with the team and really find out about the mission and and stay involved in what's going on?
1: Sure. Well, our website, of course, feelpositive.com is, I mean, it's all there. Um, And it's a very, um, it's a living and breathing website. So where it's extremely interactive um, we've got a very uh, significant frequently asked questions section where we are a public company, as you pointed out. So um, we've got thousands of shareholders throughout the world, actually, and so we're accountable to them. Uh, so there's no, again, there's no stupid question. If if you're interested in in, in getting information, uh, you know, just contact us. We'll get back to you. And um, and then yeah, the the opportunities. You know that we're getting a lot of interest around the world now for deployment of our systems in different parts of the world, uh, and that's of great interest to us. I mean, we're starting in Canada because we're in Canada. Um, you know, we want to have our initial systems close close to home, but we're also in a perfect um, geographically in a perfect part of the world for especially for initially for agricultural application. And there's a tremendous amount of sustainable electricity available in Canada so we're we want to really showcase the viability of that so so all of that information again is on our website i mean i'm easy to reach i'm ian at, at fuelpositive.com and and happy to take direct you know direct contact without any issue i don't have 10 people guarding me so in that sense so i'm i'm extremely available um and we love the conversation because it's things are moving very very quickly and growing very quickly um, we're we're always looking for for you know partnerships and opportunity and uh, it's coming in like it's crazy every day now so it's very very good and we have we have webinars on online as well so again we 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 like to keep our our stakeholders informed um, you know this is not we're not sort of do you know, sort of slam the door shut and then open it up every six months and throws, throw some information out where we try to keep people, you know, updated real time. So that's very important for us as well.
0: I absolutely love that. And I definitely encourage the audience, reach out and find out more about this, because I think it's such a huge and impactful mission that you're on. And, you know, I want to thank you for all your time. And then, of course, I encourage everybody to come back this Friday. We're going to talk a little bit more about the tactics of how to make sure we're doing our part for this uh, carbon free environment. So, Ian, I appreciate your time, my friend.
1: Oh, pleasure. Thanks so much, Zach. Great questions. Really appreciated it.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Tactical Leadership Podcast. And I hope you got a ton of value out of what we talked about today. I also want to remind you that this show is brought to you by Night Protection Services. If you're a leader in a small to mid-sized business that does 5 to $10 million a year in revenue and want to improve retention costs, which could actually add up to being twice your employee's salary, all through creating a safer work environment and saving up to 25% insurance costs. Be sure to visit nightprotectionllc.com.